0: Good morning. Good morning. There we go. Hey, a little bit of uh, housekeeping today. Uh, my name's Tim Riley. I'm one of the pastors here, and we are continuing our John series called In Jesus' Name, Amen. The name of the sermon today is Who's Your Daddy? That's what the name of the sermon is. And we're going to spend time walking through the text that we just read, that Scott just read to us. And so it's a lot of verses. It's dark in here, part of that is because uh, my cousin who is helping us with tech and some light stuff reminded me that some of these lights are like the lights they use when you're under chick, when you have chicken at KFC and they're trying to keep it warm. And so we're keeping some of the lights down just for that reason. And so also as we jump into this text, hopefully you have a bulletin on the back. It's kind of choose your own adventure kind of bulletin. We recommend you put the title in, it's Who's Your Daddy, that you take notes that you look at the different passages that we're going to study today. We have a lot of verses to cover, but we're, we don't just read them. We talk about them and explain context and things of that nature. But here's the most important thing, that we wouldn't hear passively. The goal is that we would hear the Word of God, and we would put it into practice where? In community. And I know for some of us, we're really big on God, but we're not really big on His church. And so I want to encourage us that we would engage today. One of the most sanctifying things you'll ever experience is being a part of a community and building rapport and relationships with other people. And my goal here is to teach the word honestly and to not harden your hearts, which means you hear the truth of God and you do nothing with it. And so this morning as we jump into this text, and I've already used three of my minutes, I really want to encourage us to pay attention, to write notes, and to think about how we're going to put into practice the thing that the Holy Spirit is convicting us of. We are continuing this series, in Jesus' name, amen, in John 8, and we're kind of in the middle of this heated exchange. And now some of the crowd who, according to verse 30, where we left off last week, it says in John eight thirty, it says, even as he spoke, many believed in him. We have what we will soon see as belief that lacked trust and a cultural understanding of relationship with God. Verse 31 starts this way, to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. He doesn't say if you go to church. He doesn't say if you're a good moral person. He says, if you hold to my teaching, you are really one of my disciples. If you obey my teaching, if you put into practice my teaching, here's another word in some of our translations. It says, if we abide in his teaching, that doesn't mean that you just acknowledge God's existence. The demons do that, and they shudder. But that you entrust yourself to his teaching. You do what he says out of affectionate devotion. This is not out of begrudging submission, this is affectionate devotion. And Jesus calls people to be his disciples. This is a Christian word, it means a disciplined pupil of his. So what does that look like? What does God call us into when he says that you will be my disciples? Here's a definition that I read this week that's on a whiteboard in my office, so you know it's important now. It says, it is perseverance and endurance in loving, obedience, to the Word of God. It's endurance and perseverance in loving obedience to the Word of God. Not moral modification, but love expressed through obedience to what God commands and what He says. Paul the Apostle tells us that we ought to check ourselves, to be honest with ourselves. Why do we do what we do? In 2 Corinthians chapter 13, it says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Ooh. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you unless, of course, you fail the test? I don't know if you know this. If this is your first time here, I'm just going to let you in on a little secret. I preach hard. I have never, ever been accused of tickling ears. But it's not because I think most of you don't understand, but because I desperately want each of us to not be satisfied with just being justified but to be sanctified, to grow into the likeness of Jesus, to grow in the fruit of the Spirit, love, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. And we need to be challenged. We need to be reminded to be admonished to obey the very words of God. Because let's be real, it's too easy to become complacent and comfortable, thinking that God's gift of salvation is a life insurance policy rather than a lifestyle. Here's what he says in verse 32. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. In John seventeen seventeen, Jesus says, sanctify them by the truth. Your word, Lagos, is the truth. 1 John chapter 5, verse 6 says the Spirit is truth. Jesus says in John 14, 6 that he is the truth. So there is this truth. Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the Word of God are all representatives of the God of all truth. And it is this truth that sets us free from the bondage of condemnation that sin procures for us. The analogy last week, if you were here, I used this analogy of a pendulum... You'll have to listen to last week if that doesn't make any sense to you. And it made us think about this person who claims that they believe until they are tested, that they are exposed, that the testing of their faith shows that they really just have spiritual superstition rather than biblical belief. How can I say that? Because the evidence of biblical belief is a biblical response, which is repentance. It means that you're going this way. And then all of a sudden, because God has infiltrated your heart and changed you, you turn around. Because you have been granted faith, you now have the faith to repent. J.C. Ryle, a theologian, says it this way, This is the most dangerous spiritual condition any person can ever be in where you're halfway to Christ. Inclined to Jesus, inclined to the truth about Jesus, wanting what Jesus provides and what he offers, but not willing to give in to the full demands that he lays on the sinner of repentance and faith in him, declaration of his lordship, turning from sin towards righteousness. This is where many people are. They think Jesus is good advice, but they don't realize he's the good news. And the response of these religious men is one that I think many of us would specifically have if someone questioned our salvation. If I came to you and said, I don't know that you're really a Christian, you would start to argue, you would start to feel attacked, you would feel attacked if you were questioned, and we may start to justify, but what would we point to? For the believer is not a what we point to, but a who we may want to point to our spiritual report card. Well, I'm getting an A in quiet time, getting a B plus in giving. I definitely have an A in not blaspheming his name because I always say, gosh dang it. Listen, God doesn't grade on a curve, church, and we talk about this a lot, we don't get to compare. If If he graded on a curve, none of us would have a shot because Jesus is at the head of the class, so he isn't who God grades us against. He is the one we get to cheat off of, okay? Jesus puts our name on his paper and turns it in. That's good news, because I cheated a lot in high school, just putting that out there. Maybe none of you, but I did. Jesus puts our name on his paper. And it's not about a profession of faith, a one-time thing. It's not about one and done. It's about continued, loving obedience, One may be in response to fear. You may say one time, Oh, I was having a really bad week and I needed Jesus and so I prayed. That is out of fear generally. But one, continued obedience, that requires the Holy Spirit to reside in us. Where there is no endurance, there is no faith. Where there is no endurance, there is no faith. There's a great book called Pilgrim's Progress. It was written by John Bunyan many years ago. And John Bunyan was put into prison for preaching the gospel. Can you believe it? And they told him, you can't go on telling people that Christ's righteousness has been credited to them in full. If they believe that, they'll feel like they can do whatever they want. Bunyan replied, if people really see that Christ's righteousness has been given to them entirely as a gift... They'll do whatever he wants. It is the one who understands and embraces grace that continues. It is the one who is forgiven that can forgive. It is the one that has received grace that can extend grace. Matthew chapter 24, verse 13, Jesus says, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. When do you get saved? Before the foundation of the earth. When you repent and when you die. All three answers are correct biblically. So, it is the one who stands firm to the end who will be saved. Jesus says in John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commands. There is this assumption that you're not just one and done, but you actually do something with your faith. I don't want any of us to think because we do good things that that makes us spiritually elite. If we obey for the right reasons, we will grow, but the growth is a result of our identity being placed in Christ. Not that we grow so that we know we're right with God, but because God has made us right before him, we have the fruit of growing to look more like him. There's this book that I've been quoting a lot because I've been reading it. It's called The Gospel, shocking, by J.D. Greer. And he puts it this way, my identity and my security are not in my spiritual progress, My identity and my security are in God's acceptance of me given as a gift in Christ. Anything that we do is because the gospel has made it so we can identify with Jesus and we don't have to identify with our sexuality. We don't have to identify with what we do. We don't have to identify ourselves by what children we have or what parents we have or anything to that effect. It is fully a gift from God that we can identify ourselves by. So the Jews here that they can be set free, and they conclude that Jesus is speaking of them being enslaved, which is true, but their response shows us something. Here's what it says in verse 33. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we will be set free? The Jews' sense of inherited privilege Made it impossible for them to understand what Jesus is saying because they hadn't been enslaved by any captors. They were in line with Abraham's ancestry, so they misunderstood the slavery in which Jesus speaks of, while also assuming that because they were born into the family and the lineage that they were, they were automatically grandfathered into the kingdom. Jesus, or John says in John chapter 1, verse 12 and 13, he says, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become what? Children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. John starts with, not born of natural descent. Just because your mommy and daddy know Jesus, that doesn't mean at all that you do. It is a personal relationship where you have been adopted into a family, not through whose family you were born into, but by whose family you are included in through grace. Your family does not give you a buy in committing to Jesus yourself. But hear me, if you've grown up in a Christian home, which some of us have, Though I know that that Christian home was not perfect, it is an amazing grace for you to have a family who at least isn't antagonistic against the gospel. I want my kids to love Jesus, church. I want my children, my four kids, my four sanctification experiments in my life, I want them to love Jesus. I want that more than I want them to be successful in a worldly sense more than I want them to find the perfect spouse, more than I want them to give me beautiful grandchildren one day, I care most about that by God's infinite grace he would reach into their hearts and transform them into God-revering, Christ-following, spirit-led disciples of Jesus. That's the most important thing. But I know I can't will that for them. Only God can. But I can do something. I can do my best to not be the excuse for them to not follow Jesus. And I can pray to a big God my big prayers that all four of them would be trusting, loving, and following Jesus. But God's the one who changes the heart. But these Jews, they didn't see it that way. They felt entitled because of their ancestry. They were blinded by their own pride to see who was in front of them offering them salvation verse 34 jesus replied very truly i tell you everyone who sins guess who that means everyone who sins is a slave to sin this is a profound statement because it is only the work and person of jesus that anyone can be liberated from the slavery of sin Freedom from sin is not that you stop sinning altogether, but that you stop loving your sin like you once did. And you no longer are under the condemnation you were because of your sin. Paul says in Romans 8, 1, there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus, hallelujah and glory. If you notice your sin, hear me. If you notice your sin and you really wish you wouldn't sin in that way anymore, that is a gracious gift from the Lord of progress. In Romans 6, verses 17 and 18, it says, but thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. That is a good word. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness, It is because of our adoption into God's family that we obey from our heart, that our allegiance to God through Jesus Christ, that we are no longer enslaved to sin, but we are entrusted to righteousness. We understand that we are not perfect, but we have a God who is, and he has given us his perfection. Verse 35 in John 8. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it, forever. Jesus is reiterating that they are not sons who are in, that are secure in the family of God, but they are slaves to sin, which proves they are not included in God's family. This is harsh, but it's true. And so, he says in verse 36, so if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Whoo! See, the Son is the one who offers freedom from sin. But I think when we hear that, when we hear freedom from sin, we assume that we won't sin anymore. You will, hear me, but you will no lo- it will no longer have the power that it once did. Because the Holy Spirit is given as a gift to those who would trust the Son as Lord, and he leads us to repentance and to the truth of the word. And the word says that we are set free, and we are free indeed. See, I don't want you to miss this. The freedom that Jesus speaks of is that our sin no longer has the power to condemn us, church. That is such good news. Such good news. In him, we no longer are defined by our sin, but we are identified by the Son. When I screw up, which I've done today, just just me, I'm sure, when I screw up, the Father doesn't look at me and condemn me. The Father looks at me and he sees his Son, and I need that. Verse 37, Jesus says to the crowd who claimed that they believed, I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. Jesus agrees that they are ethnically Abraham's descendants, but spiritually they were not his. They did not believe what Abraham believed. I am telling you what I've seen in the Father's presence, and you are doing what you have heard from your father. Like, this is a crazy diss, all right? He's not just dissing them, he's dissing their father, but they think that they are of Abraham's lineage, they think that they are, that God is their father, And then he goes on, or they go on and respond, Abraham is our father, they answered. And Jesus says, if you were Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you would do what Abraham did. This is a group of self-justifiers. And they are saying that they are of Abraham, but Jesus is implying that someone of Abraham is not just because of a bloodline, but because Abraham was of God, not just in his lineage, but in his faith. In Hebrews chapter 11, 8 through ten, it says, "By faith Abraham, when called to go to the place he would let, later receive as his inheritance, he obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith he made his home in the promised land, like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did his Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city." with foundations whose architect and builder is God. Abraham's faith made him who he was in Christ. Not his circumstances or his family tree, but the intervention of God by grace to give Abraham the faith to trust him. So if you're here today and you think because you grew up in a Christian home, you and God are good and you haven't repented, you're solely wrong. Romans 9 says, for not all who are descended from Israel are Israel, nor because they are his descendants are they all Abraham's children. On the contrary, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. In other words, it is not the children by physical descent who are God's children, but it is the children of the promise who are regarded as Abraham's offspring. I don't know if it gets clearer than that. It is not those who are born into a family, but those who entrust themselves to God and his promises that are actually God's family. Jesus implies this in Matthew chapter 12. It says in Matthew chapter 12, verses 46 through 50, it says, while Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside, all right? Just imagine the scene. They wanted to speak to him. Verse 47, someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. They wanted to stop him, I believe. He replied to him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Okay, so your application is not to do that to your parents and siblings, all right? But then, verse 49, he points to his disciples and he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. We assume that because someone has grown up in a Christian home or that they are a sibling of a Christian or they're a child of a Christian, that they are good. Listen, we are not good without Christ. We just aren't. He must be our Lord, which requires much more than lip service, but faith exercised. There's a poem that's taken from an inscription left on a Lutheran church, and it says it this way. This was the poem that was taken from it. Why call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things I say? You call me the way and walk me not. You call me the life and live me not. You call me master and obey me not. If I condemn you, blame me not. You call me bread and eat me not. You call me truth and believe me not. You call me Lord and serve me not. If I condemn you Blame me not. Verse 40, as it is, you are looking for a way to kill me. A man who has told you the truth that I heard from God, Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the works of your own father. Jesus is implying, you are claiming you are from God, but you are looking for a way to kill me, to kill the Son of God, to fight against the God you claim you are of and that you love. Verse 41, we are not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. They're missing it. They're missing who they're talking to. They're missing all of this, and I wonder just a little bit if some of us have to check ourselves and examine ourselves. Are we more like this crowd who claim that we're of God because of some outward justification, or are we of God because of what Jesus has done for us? Their response is that they disagree that they're not out of the family, because of their prideful arrogance, it keeps them in the dark of what's what being a part of Abraham's family actually is. See, God cannot be their father because they think they are entitled. The gospel is in direct conflict with entitlement. Do you hear me? Anyone who understands grace knows it's a gift and not something that anyone is entitled to. See, grace by definition is getting what you don't deserve. Verse 42. Jesus said to them, If God were your Father, you would love me. For I have come here from God and I have not come on my own. God sent me. You want to know if you and God are good? You want to know if you are in relationship with God? How do you respond to Jesus' lordship? Do you do what he says, or do you act as if listening to him doesn't matter as long as you have nice feelings for the Father, or how some people call him, God? Jesus is sent from the Father. He is doing his work. He is about his daddy's business, and that is evidenced in his complete submission to his Father's will. See, hear me, you cannot have the Father without the Son. It's impossible. Here we go. John 8, Verse 43. Why is my language not clear to you, Jesus says. Because you are unable to hear what I say. Jesus asks a question, then he answers it himself. That's awesome. Why don't you understand what I'm saying? Because you can't. It's not that the crowd here was stupid or lazy in their listening, but they literally could not understand him, as if he were speaking another language that was not understood. But see, Jesus doesn't try harder He doesn't use Google Translate because this is not a language issue as much as it is a heart issue. These people were obstinate. They were stubborn, and they were sure of what they couldn't be sure of. Is that you today? Are you sure of things you could not be sure of? And Jesus knows that they do not have the ears to hear or, as we saw in the last passage, the eyes to see the light of the world standing right in front of them. I don't know about you, but I get so frustrated, at least back in the day, when I would share a clear and passionate gospel message with someone, and they didn't understand, because they'd respond with, well, I don't believe that. Because here's the thing, if you did understand the beauty of the gospel and this grace that is so irresistible… When that's comprehended, you would want to do nothing but fall at the feet of the Lord and God who did for you what you could not do for yourselves. We get to practice that in worship. We get to practice that as we, some of us raise hands, some of us sit, some of us put our hands out wide, some of us move around. I don't know how you respond in worship, but we get to respond in worship to the God who saved us when we didn't deserve it. But most don't see it that way because they don't believe, and they don't want to. Their hearts are so hard to the truth, and they are so impatient with God. Do you know that most people only give credit, and I use air quotes, to God when things don't go their way? We blame Him in the tragic, but we don't acknowledge Him in the good. Not because there isn't enough proof or there aren't enough good gospel analogies, but because we are a world that is in darkness and cannot see who God. Deci- we cannot see who God is until God decides to remove the veil over our spiritual eyes. So what do we do when we encounter such opposition to the gospel? Because I know some of you, you go to work and you want to have the opportunity to share. I know you are in school and you want the people around you to know Jesus. So what do we do when we encounter such opposition to the gospel and we're just trying to be faithful and share it with others? We pray. We live life out in front of someone. And when asked, we give a reason for the hope that we have. Peter says this in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 and 16. He says, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Other translations say, in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Make Christ holy as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer. What do you have to do in order to give an answer? You have to be asked a question. To everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. The way we live matters, church. And in order to give an answer, we first must be asked a question, but we ought to live in such a way that people question why we have joy. Your job is not to convert those around you. The results are not up to you. Let me say that again, all right? The results are not up to you but faithfulness to being a witness for the glory of God is that's your responsibility to be faithful to make much of Jesus with your lives it's not how good you share but are you willing to share and does your life back up your words some of you are like no one ever asked me about your my faith well maybe it's because you're not prepared Maybe it's because your life isn't backing up your words. Maybe it's like someone who's driving a car and drives like a jerk, a jerk, uh, jerk, a jerk. That's a new one. Jerks at church. I like it. I just created it. Boom, trademark. Gospelized, jerk. Sorry, squirrel. No, I know where I'm going, just for effect. It's like some of us who drive like jerks in our vehicles and we have a Jesus fish on the back. Could you change it and make it like a Mormon license plate holder or something, please, if you're gonna drive like a jerk? We ought to live like we believe that Jesus is alive. We ought to live like we believe that Jesus is who he says that he is. We ought to live as if he is high and lifted up and exalted to the right hand of the Father and he is coming back one day in all his glory. That's why we live and breathe and have our being and existence because Christ has rescued us. Thank you, Malik. Let's take the excuse away. Too many people who cannot understand the gospel use Christians as the excuse to why they don't believe. So let's take that excuse away from them. Let's live as if Jesus is actually alive. But Jesus has some really direct and harsh words for this crowd, and I would assume had some... I would assume that as he said these things to these people, some of them had claimed that they believed, and they could not hear what he was describing. So verse 44, this is going to hurt. He says, "'You belong to your father, the devil.'" Dang! "'And you want to carry out your father's desires.'" Your father was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of all lies. Burn is what I hear in that moment. Not you should burn, but that is a burn on their father and the fact that they identify themselves with him. You are of the devil, he says. Your nature is corrupted. You belong not to the God you pretend to love and follow, but to the enemy, the devil of hell. So what happens when one's nature is corrupted by the sin that they have inherited from Adam? They want to carry out the desires, not of God, but they want to carry out the desires of Satan because he is who they belong to. And hear me. Until you repent, until God gives you the faith to believe and change direction, until you supernaturally, by the power of the Spirit of God, have a change of heart, a change of direction, a change of mind to follow Jesus the King, you are of the devil. I only say this because the text says it, but it's true. That is how someone becomes a good person, though. Not indeed. Not in what they do, but the only way to become a good person, because I've asked about people all the time, hey, what's this person like? Always a good person. A good person, air quotes, is only someone who has identified themselves in the goodness and righteousness of Jesus Christ in him alone. That's what makes a good person. Naturally, we are not good. Here's a way to not get you to come back next week. You ready? We don't just lie, we're liars. We don't just fornicate, we're fornicators. Don't Google that. We don't just get angry, we are haters. We don't just sin, we are sinners, and we can't pull ourselves up by our bootstraps to stop doing these things. We need a supernatural intervention by God to change, transform us, and conform us more into his image. It's a requirement, not that you do anything, but that you let go and you allow God to change you. Verse 45, yet because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of a sin? Yeah, you could definitely prove me guilty of a sin, but Jesus is saying this. If I am telling you the truth, why don't you believe me? Truth is repulsive and not absolute for someone who wants nothing to do with the king of the kingdom. Truth becomes subjective, That's why we change definitions of things that are crystal clear, because we don't want the logos. We don't want the truth. We don't want the life, because then we would actually have to be accountable to a God who made us and sustains us in every breath in our lungs, which is a gift from him and is the opportunity to course correct and turn to him. I'm only telling you this because I think you can handle it. And I would much rather have you reject the real Jesus than believe in a placebo one. Jesus has the resume, if you will, to bring to these unbelieving people. He is without sin, and no one can bring up a sin against him, but they are too stubborn to notice or care about that. Because even though he brings the truth, they don't see it, they will not believe it, because they can't. Yet some would say they believe or believed Until the costs were counted. Okay, I haven't given you enough verses that hurt, so here we go. Luke 14, large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and he turned to them and said, please don't walk out until I've explained what this means, then you can walk out. If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Whoa! Slow your roll, Jesus. I'm totally down to swear less. I'm totally down to give some of my income when it's convenient. I really like the community of people I get to be around, so going to church really isn't that bad unless it interferes with the trip I want to go on. Sorry. Sorry. I really don't mind singing the music or hearing the almost middle-aged guy use Marvel references and make fun of prosperity preachers. But you want me to do what? Hate my father? Hate my mother? Hate my brother and my sisters and my children and even my own life? That's ridiculous, Jesus. God is love. And that's impossible for me because I love those people. See, what Jesus is saying is that your devotion to your God cannot be placed on any of those people. The way you love Jesus should look like, in contrast, look like hate of those people. Not because you hate them, but because you so love and are devoted to Jesus, no other relationship in the world can take precedence. Not tickling ears today. That's what it's like to be his disciples. Not the world's and Jesus. Not a little bit of Buddha and then a helping of Christ on the side. But to be God's child, it means he is your daddy and you are about your daddy's business. I think this is a lot easier for the person who maybe didn't grow up in a Christian home. Because often their salvation, there's like this moment, if you will, and it's very contrasting to their life. They were going one way, and all of a sudden they changed direction. But if you've grown up in the church, if you've learned how to act the part, to look the way you think you ought to, to but to drop everything and follow him, that, jer- that church, that doesn't look the same for the person that has grown up in the church. See, the person who grew up in the church, they don't drop partying hard necessarily or fornication. It's their religion they have to drop. It's dropping our legalism. It's dropping our safety blanket of doing church the way that we've always done it. It's about dropping our facades and trusting that if we allow our real selves to come out in front of these other people, that they will not condemn us, but they will accept us like Jesus does. That's risky, church. That's difficult, but it is what Jesus is telling us to do. Verse 47, whoever belongs to God, here's what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. (laughs) Jesus ends this thought with a a pretty big bow, if you will, around the conversation. Jesus says that those who are of God hear God. They understand his word. They do what he says. But then what does Jesus say? Say, the reason you do not hear God is that you are not God's. Because you don't, it exposes you are not His. These words are scary. These words are powerful. These words ought to be course correcting. The gospel is not about you, church. The good news of Jesus coming to this world, living the life you could not live, dying the death, you should have died and physically rising from the dead, ascending to heaven. One day he's coming back. He's come as the king of the kingdom so that we could be adopted into that kingdom and we could see the spiritual realm because the Holy Spirit resides in us. And the truth of that response is that we start to grow to look more like Jesus and we forgive because we've been forgiven. We give grace because we've been given grace. That is the good news. That's not about you. It's about him justification before a holy and perfect God has an effect. God doesn't leave you where you were. He changes you. When you are justified, you start to be sanctified. You start to grow more like Christ. You hear Him, you obey Him, and you worship Him. In prayer, as the worship team this morning, Laura was... Praying and just thanking God for the transformation and people in the church. And names just kept coming to mind. Individuals just kept coming to mind. And you are not good with God because you've been changed. You're good with God because Christ has infiltrated your heart. You have a new identity that's found in Him, but the result of that is that you start to grow and look more like Christ. May we be a church that isn't satisfied with just being justified, but actually wants to do the things the Lord has told us to do. Worship team, you can come on up